Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Sermons Podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. Today's sermon is called The Presence of the Lord, and it's based on Luke 24, 13 through 34, and the supplemental text is Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14. This is the third service in the season of Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Our worship services take place every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in our building at 819 John Adams Street, which is the corner of 9th and John Adams Streets in Oregon City, Oregon. You can also worship with us via Facebook live stream at facebook.com slash onebaptistchurch. For more information or to financially support the mission and ministry of First Baptist Church, please visit our website at onebaptistchurch.org. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'd like you to think for a moment about being in the presence of someone. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe someone you love and cherish, and you've loved and cherished the same person for a number of years, and their presence has become familiar to you. It's become comfortable. Think about being in the presence of a friend, somebody who, whose companionship and support and encouragement has carried you through difficult times. Maybe it's the presence of, uh, of just someone who makes you, when, when they're around, it makes you feel braver. It makes you feel more joyful. It makes you know that everything's going to be okay. Even if things are very dark at the time, that things are just going to be all right. Think about that presence and how that, I don't want to use the word feels, but sure, how that feels. Because we all understand presence. It makes sense to us when we think about it that way is that there are people who bring different things out of us, who bring different things into existence when we're together. Sometimes those things can be very loving, laughing, joyful type things. Other times they just right annoy the snot out of us. But that person's presence does something for us. It does something to us and it changes us. Two weeks ago was Easter. We talked about how these these women had gone to the tomb and they found that Jesus' body was gone and that they were sent by Jesus because then they run into him later and he says, hi, go, go get everybody else. Tell them to meet up with me. And so thus Jesus turns two women into the very first gospel preachers. And last week we kind of zoomed back to look at something large scale that God was doing when he raised Jesus from the dead. And that was that he gave Jesus a resurrected body. And we learned that we can love our own bodies and that we can 
that we live an embodied existence, that our bodies are good and that our world is worth redeeming because Jesus was born, was, was resurrected with a body. This week, we're going to zoom back in to a, to a situation and we're going to look at, at kind of where the embodied Jesus matters in Scripture. Because sometimes we, we, we can and should <clears throat> talk about these big overarching narratives within Scripture. But we also need to look and see where they're applied, where they're lived out. So that it's not merely something that we, we think up here, but it's something that we can see how it works itself out in our lives. And here come, here's the, one of, this is, this is one of the best bits of writing in all of Scripture. And all of Scripture is valuable, but there are a few bits that stand out above the rest. And this is one of them, if you ask me. Because here are these two downtrodden disciples. Now, they shouldn't be downtrodden, because if they had believed the women, they should be rejoicing. They should be celebrating. But much like people in our world today, when uh, if, a, if a dude had shown up and said it, we would have taken it, they would have taken it one way, but because a woman showed up and said it, they didn't quite believe it the same way. And I'll admit, I've been there. Katie has tried to tell me numerous times to, to do something or not do something else, and if I would have just listened the first time, my life would have been much better off. You can just let your mind wander with that one. Uh, I can be a stubborn and stiff-necked person sometimes. So they're going along, and they've heard that Jesus has, has been raised from the dead, but they're, 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 they're not convinced. You can just tell, because everything they say about Jesus is in the past tense. It had happened. He was a great prophet. He was a mighty teacher. He, you know, we thought they did this. It's all past tense as they're talking about Jesus. As they're talking about Jesus to Jesus. And so they're on their way to Emmaus, which is a town uh, to the west of Jerusalem if I've got my biblical, ge my, my geography correct. And so they're, they're walking out towards Emmaus, and Jesus joins them. And it says they, were, they, they didn't recognize him. And what it says is, but God kept them from recognizing them, from recognizing Jesus. And I think this is important because it draws attention to when they do recognize Jesus. Jesus walking around with disciples was not new. If you've read Luke by this point, if you've been following along with Luke, Jesus is walking miles and miles, and can you just imagine that guy's feet the, the, the calluses, the smells. He, he, he was, he, Jesus was human, was fully human. And, and he's walked and walked and walked with disciples. This shouldn't be new for them 
to be walking with Jesus. But yet, it's not in the walking that they recognize Jesus. That it's not in the walking that their eyes are opened. And then after they tell Jesus everything that, after they recap the last few days of Jesus' life for him, and just the patience that Jesus exhibits as they do this, and it, I, I just, I imagine a little smirk on his face as they're, they're recounting all of this, and, and, and it all sounds eerily familiar for Jesus. They're going along talking about it, and he says, you, you foolish people, you should have seen this coming. <clears throat> and then he says, it says that he opened up the scriptures and he explained the scriptures about him. We like doing this thing called proof texting, where we want, we want a scripture or a few scriptures, the, the more the better, to back up our argument. And this is because we, we are, are living in the age of, of we're coming out of, uh, and in, out of modernity, we're in this, this postmodern age, and in modernity, the enlightenment, it, everything had to be logic, and everything had to be reasoned, you had to have an, an argument and, and, and evidence to back up your point, and not saying that that's a bad thing, but when we hear this, we start to go, okay, well, what was Jesus talking about? What were the exact scriptures that Jesus was mentioning? And while I've played a little trick on all of you, and the two, two of them that could be considered have already been read this morning. Psalm 130 ends by saying, the Lord himself will redeem his people from their sins. And then that passage from Jeremiah 31 is, ah, it's a an amazing passage talking about what happens when God's people are redeemed and God comes to live smack dab in the midst of them. But if you really want to expand it and look at the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what Jesus and his disciples just called the scriptures, if you really look at it, it is one big movement of God delivering his people who had been caught in the miry muck of sin and rebellion. They had, they had been in Egypt. God had delivered them from famine into Egypt, but then they were enslaved. And so they, God leads his people by God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. He delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, and we call this the Exodus. And in Jesus, there is a new Exodus. Because Jesus is the new Moses who is, is leading God's people, not away from a literal slavery where, we, where they were baking bricks every day, but away from the powers of darkness that would seek to enslave people at all. It is a sin to enslave people find it odd that I should have to say that out loud in 2022, but well, here we are. And, and so Jesus has led a new exodus to not just lead God's people away from physical slavery, 
but from captivity to the powers of darkness that tear apart God's good creation. He would have talked about, Jesus would have shared about David and how David was a person who united all of the tribes of Israel and brought them to a point of worship where there was a place where they could all go and worship and God's very presence was present in that place. God had lived in a tabernacle as they were wandering through the wilderness. And David establishes the city of Jerusalem or makes it the place where the temple will be. And then his son Solomon builds the temple. And it's predicted that there will be a a king that will come in the way of David to unite God's people together and draw them to worship the living God with the living presence of God in their midst. Jesus is the new David. And he also would have talked about the exile because as God's people worshiped one idol after another idol and another idol and everything just went to utter crap, God finally said, I have shown you so much mercy, but now you have to face the consequence of your actions. And they were defeated by Babylon and led away into captivity. Now they came back, they re-inhabited the land, but if you read the book of Ezekiel, which Jesus might have mentioned, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. And even though they rebuilt the temple and the temple that Jesus was talking about and worshipped in, that temple was rebuilt, but we don't hear about the glory of the Lord returning back to the temple. And there was a real sense among the people at the time that even though the temple had been rebuilt, that the, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord had not fully returned, and so there was this unrest about it. But in Jesus, we have the true return from exile. We have the pronouncement that sins are forgiven. We have the declaration that the time of suffering is over, and God leads his people, himself, back to the place that they were promised, back to the place where they belong, and God is present amongst his people in Jesus. This is the new exile, the new return from exile. And all of this, when we talk about, when we talk about in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when we read it, and Paul says that all of the promises of the Old Testament, all of the promises of Scripture find their amen, their yes, their so be it in Christ Jesus. This is what we're talking about. And there's all sorts of books that say, you know, well, if you come through the Old Testament, you'll find, you know, uh, this sort of thing that's happening now and that sort of thing that's happening now. And and, and a lot of these kind of end times type books, you're missing the point because all of God's promises find their yes in Christ Jesus. The new Exodus has come through Jesus. The new David has come through Jesus. The return from exile has come through Jesus. And all of this means that God's presence 
is once again manifestly amongst his people, embodied, embodied among his people in the person of Jesus. This is why it matters that Jesus has a body, is because it is living. God's presence is now living amongst God's people. And when are their eyes opened? But in this meal, Jesus has broken bread. And there's a real, like, interesting poetic mirroring here because it is reversing the first meal in Scripture. The first meal in Scripture was where a, uh, a little lizard, a snake, if you will, tried to convince Eve to eat a piece of fruit off of a tree. Was it an apple? Was it a pomegranate? I don't know. Uh, I know a pomegranate is a lot harder to rip open with your bare hands than an apple is. I'll tell you that. Uh, also, it just makes your kitchen an awful mess. Um, anyway, it's neither here nor there. But the first meal is where Eve takes this apple that is going to open her eyes to rebellion. And then Adam shows up, and Adam should have been there the whole time helping her. And Adam shows up and eats the apple too, and their eyes are open to rebellion. Well, now here we have these people sitting at the table, Cleopas, and, and we, we suspect she's, she's not named in the, the Luke text but we suspect it's Cleopas' wife, Mary, one of the eight million Marys who show up in Scripture. And, and she's there too, and they're sitting at this table, and Jesus, notice, he took a piece of bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. If this doesn't sound familiar to you now, it will in about 10 minutes. And, and he gives it to them, and their eyes are open because now... In this reverse Eden, now they're not seeing rebellion. They're seeing God's servant who has been through death and brought back into life and now is present with them. And their eyes are opened. And this is important because their eyes are open to the presence of God. It's in the presence of God then that they can look back and they can see everything. And they can see everything properly. And this is as true for them as it is for us. Because when we, when we sit at the table, when we come to the Lord's table, we meet with the Lord. And everything in our lives we can look back on in the proper way. In the presence of the Lord, at the Lord's table, they understand who Jesus is. They say, didn't our hearts burn as he talked about the scriptures? And so they know what God has been up to, that God has always been working to rescue and deliver God's people that this has been ongoing from the first page of Genesis to the last page of Chronicles. Their scriptures are in a different order than ours. It's okay. We deal with it. From the first page of Genesis to the last page of Chronicles, God has been reaching out to his people to be present 
Jim nailed it in his prayer that even as they're wandering through the desert, God gives them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that they know that God is with them and they know where they're going. And there's the Ark of the Covenant and the temple. And and all of this is just so that people know that God wants to be present with us. So much that God is taking it upon himself to do the reaching. And at the table, we understand what God is up to. At the table, we understand who we are. At the table, in the presence of Jesus, we understand who we are. Because we know that we need to be at this table. We know that we need to be in the presence of the Lord. And so when we come to this table, we recognize that Jesus himself, he says, this is my body that was taken, blessed, broken, and given for us. We may be sinners. We not, there's no maybe about it. We are Sinners, our world is broken, no doubt. But we are also lavished upon by God's grace and love and mercy that we see on the cross, that we see in this meal, that we see every time we engage with the presence of the Lord. And in the Lord's presence, we know what to do. Because what happened as soon as their eyes were open, they got up and they went to tell others about it. Jesus's presence can't lead us to just have a nice, comfortable, warm, fuzzy religious feeling. Because that is not remotely scriptural. Jesus's presence leads us then out to recognize that presence in the world, to recognize what, and, and get involved with what God is already doing in the world. God goes ahead of us and leads us into mission and leads us into extending the knowledge of this presence everywhere we go. So when we come to the table, we're not just doing something, it's never just routine. It's never, yes, we know the first and the third Sundays we, we come to this table. But we also know that we come to this table not just to get a little piece of bread and a little drink of grape juice. We don't come to this table just to just to see people, just to to do something. We come to this table because as we do, we know the Lord is present here. We see the presence of the Lord here and we tend to what the presence of the Lord is revealing for us about God, about ourselves, 
and about what we need to do. And then what we do is we take this presence, we take this table, and we relocate it. And I don't mean like pick the table up and move it because you'll throw your back out. But we relocate. We locate this table in all sorts of places in our world. Because this table can be in our homes. This table can be at Black Ink Coffee. This table can be at Sherry's up the hill. Notice a lot of these have to do with food. These can, th- this table can be at your gym, after you've been to Sherry's. <laughs> but we can recognize the presence of the Lord living and active, leading us ahead when we attend to it here in worship. Because it is this table that we learn and we hear and we remember and we know. And then it is when we walk away from this table that we go and do and live out those ways of Jesus that are healing our world and bringing God's new creation to life in our present world. Our present world needs to know that God is present with it. And we are the people that God has chosen by the grace of Jesus to extend and make known his presence throughout the world.